Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on August the 7th, 2012. Newcomers to the broadcast, I always suggest you make good use of CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and start downloading or at least listening to the audios that are there for free download. There's over a thousand of them and if you go through them at your leisure, you'll start to understand the system you're born into. And it is a system. It knows where it's going. It's very coordinated, well-funded, well-organized. It's worldwide, and it's bringing in a new form of living for everyone across the whole planet once it's finished uh, its war strategies and its war um, agendas. It will bring in uh, the, the coalitions of various trading blocks as well. Then they last for about 30 years. Then you're under world government. And then even the world government, supposedly, according to the futurists who work for the think tanks for, for instance, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, they actually talk about the system where eventually all the trading blocks will come down in population and nations will all disappear. And there'll just be very modern, ultra-modern city-states, very futuristic in a few countries. Uh, and that way they've got their utopia, you see, step by step by step. These people plan in centuries and they work in centuries. And as some of the big members of it have mentioned too, they run through uh, philanthropic organizations, for instance, front organizations that pretend they're into charity. These are the guys who train all the jihadists, for instance, across the Middle East to uprise and the color revolutions. They have spies all over the place. And they run your media, your politics, and everything else in between. So you're living in a planned agenda, very old, and help yourself as to the audios, start to find out uh, who these organizations happen to be, how they work together, and their specialized branches, because they have branches pertaining to every aspect of society and the social norms. As they, as they destroy the old social norms, they bring in new social norms. You're living through it, and you're the product of their, their massive tampering, really. So help yourself to those. Remember, too, you're the audience to bring me to you so you can help me keep going by buying the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com or donating to me because I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I get no money from advertising. I certainly could if I wanted to. And um, as I say, you can uh, help me keep going. So from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check to order. You can use international money order, postal money order from the post office. You can send cash or you can use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal once again. And member straight donations are awfully welcome in these so-called austere times because there's much more austere in Canada as inflation is a lot higher here than it is in the U.S. and elsewhere. But they're mere avant-garde, you see. We're really under the thumb. We've never had a constitution really as such in Canada. We're given at something by Trudeau, who was a communist. It's all admitted now, of course, after the fact. But um, remember, too, the big organization that he worked for also said they didn't mind working with communists, fascists, dictators, whatever. They'd work with them all to bring in this world society. And that's what they've used up to the present time. And I'm talking about the Royal Institute for International 
relations and so on. And the Council on Foreign Relations is the other part of it across the whole world. Every government in the world has a department and a head office that puts their politicians into office. And they have put their own head politicians in for prime ministers and presidents for a hundred years. Every single one. And that's not from me, that's from their own historian, Professor Carol Quigley, who was their historian at the Council on Foreign Relations. You're living through a planned agenda. It's very hard for folk not to, or it's hard for them to remember that you're living through a planned agenda because you're deluged with media and trivia and semi-interesting stories every day of the week, you see. And you tend to lose track of the basic agenda as it, as it stands. Who's behind it? They've been behind all the wars for the last hundred years and all the social changes. Same people running the show today. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, we're back cutting through the matrix. I've mentioned so many times about how this organization came into being, and uh, the RIIA, as they call it in Britain, uh, came out of the Milner Group that combined with the Cecil Rhodes Foundation and with Lord Rothschild too. And they started wars in the late 1800s. I'm sure there were organizations before them under different names that did all the other wars prior to that. But they started the Boer War, for instance, and they even sent their own mercenaries over to attack the Boers. And, uh, and, and then, of course, they had their own, even had a person from the, the Times working for them because they owned the Times newspaper, this particular group, uh, who wrote back to London that the Boers were attacked and were wiping out the British settlers. That's how they got the Boer War started. That's all admitted to now. A whole people were accused, falsely, of starting a war. And um, the false flags, they call it today. And they got the British Army to come in, of course, as they always do. That's what armies are for, to look after economic situations. And they took over what they wanted, which was the gold and diamond mines and everything else. And uh, they've done this, of course. Even when they were doing that, they were working in Germany. Today we'd call it a color revolution, undermining society in Germany, because they didn't want Germany rising up to be a power that would, that would also trade across the world and be powerful. So they wanted to have a war with Germany. And they worked for 12 or 14 years to start the war, World War I with Germany behind the scenes. That's all in their own records, their own histories, told by their own historian. And then they built uh, up for World War II by funding and setting up the IG Farben Foundation, an umbrella group of big business corporations from the West. And that's what gave Adolf Hitler his, his big machine. They also set up the communist system to make sure money flowed through them to the communist system. Because without conflict, you understand, you can't get the change that you've planned for. You've got to have at least two sides at all times in a conflict to get the resolution that you want. And that's how they do it. But even during World War II, this society was, uh, this, this worldwide, as I say, uh, they were traveling around the different countries, and as European countries were liberated, except for the ones that were given over to the communists, by the way, it was the Royal Institute of International Affairs that set up the, the meeting with Winston Churchill and Stalin and Roosevelt at the Malta, at the Yalta Conference, where they, during the war, where they divvied up Europe and said, we'll give you Poland, we'll give you this, we'll give you that country, and that was all agreed to before the war's ending. 
immensely powerful organization. As I say, they've given you every prime minister and president for since the late 1800s. And they haven't stopped there because during the war they traveled through, uh, and after the war they traveled through Europe, and they had already set up plans to basically destroy the nationalist qualities of Japan and Germany. And they published their books on it, in fact, of how they would do it. And technically, they'd emasculate the males. They'd also give them no history in Germany uh, prior to, to being liberated, as they wanted to call it, in the World War II. Similar to Japan, too. And they took away the, the male-type culture that they had until the guys in Japan are utterly screwed up. Today. They're buying rubber dolls, for God's sake, because they can't talk to women. But as we're doing all that, they also talked about the West. And most folk wouldn't think about it at the time. Why would we all, the victors, have the same things done on us? Well, you see, to conquer the world, you conquer everybody in the world. The same ones that you use. No different from Japan and Germany. And, of course, that's where we are today with this. They were going through the last few countries in the Middle East uh, to destroy those cultures, bring central banking systems in, because money is one of the keys of maintaining power and control over the public. It's actually easier to, to use money than, than armies because when you've conditioned the public that they need it and, and that, that stops right there, they can't think of doing without it, even to get their freedom back. So they just go along with whatever, like slaves, until the end. Now, but, but this article here I've mentioned before, and it's so important because with all the things that are happening today, you understand the article I'm going to read here, I've mentioned before about Syria, and all the organizations that have been funded from the, this West, this Anglo-American opposition. And the guy's right on with Anglo-American because Quigley also wrote a book called The Anglo-American Establishment. And this organization that, that was already fomenting wars before World War II, during World War II, after World War II, right to the present time. Massive amounts of money are put into training uh, millions of people for uprisings in every country, if need be. But it says, this is a story of the Syrian war, but there's another story to be told, a tale less bloody, but never less important. A story about the storytellers, the spokespeople. They know the guys they bring out on television as soon as something starts or before it starts. Suddenly there's experts on Syria, he says. The democracy activists, as they call themselves. The statement makers, the people who urge and warn and call for action. But we've got to do something. It's a tale about some of the most quoted members of the Syrian opposition and their connection to the Anglo-American opposition creation business. Anglo-American opposition creation business. The mainstream news media have in the main been remarkably passive when it comes to Syrian sources, billing them simply as official spokesmen or pro-democracy campaigners. We hear this all the time. We hear all the different titles of God and organizations, but no, no, nobody says who's funding them. What's one head funding them all? It says, without for the most part scrutinizing their statements, their backgrounds, or their political connections. It's important to stress to investigate the background of a Syrian spokesperson is not to doubt the sincerity of his or her opposition to Assad, but a passionate hatred of the Assad regime is no guarantee of independence. Indeed, a number of key figures in the Syrian opposition movement are long-term exiles who were receiving U.S. government funding to undermine the Assad government long before the Arab Spring broke out. Well, they were doing that in all the countries across the Middle East, as they're still doing that, of course, in Iran. They did it in Europe, too, with the Orange Revolution. Remember that one? They fly them all over the world. You know, thousands and thousands of protesters. 
And they also send them into universities to start, you know, spreading the word there and getting it ready for uprisings. You have no idea the work that goes into all of this, but it's the biggest spy agency on the planet, and it's private. It says, those has not yet stated U.S. government policy to oust Assad by force. Spokespeople are vocal advocates of foreign military intervention in Syria and thus natural allies of well-known U.S. new conservatives who supported Bush's invasion of Iraq and are now pressuring the Obama administration to intervene. As we see, several of these spokespeople have found support and in some cases developed long-time term and, and lucrative relationships with advocates of military intervention on both sides of the Atlantic. The sand is running out of the hourglass, said Hillary Clinton Sunday. So as this fighting in Syria intensifies and rushing warships set sail for Tartus, it's high time to take a closer look at who are speaking out on behalf of the Syrian people. Now, I've mentioned before the Syrian National Council, and I've mentioned to Basma Kodmani, who seems to be the head of this. And she's obviously trained by MI6, probably Mossad, MI6, and, and, and CIA. They're all the same today, folks. They've been the same since World War II, by the way. All of them inter- interwoven. There's no difference. But, uh, but of course, she's the big uh, one who attends the Bilderberg Conference, member of the Council on Foreign Relations, member of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, all the big organizations that have been at this for a hundred years, overthrowing governments and regimes. And then you scroll down on this link, and I'll put it up tonight too. And the guide does a good job of explaining what the CFR is, Council on Foreign Relations, elite foreign policy think tank that's more than a think tank it puts its members in as, as your presidents that's the only ones you're allowed to elect you see they they're vetted by the cfr they put their own guys in across the world including the european ones as well for the whole of the european project and amalgamation now it says here when you scroll down to it's uh, it's really well done. Radwan Zaidi, it says another often quoted SNC representative, Radwan Zaidi, director of foreign relations at the Syrian National Council. Zaidi has an impressive CV. He's a senior fellow at the federally funded Washington think tank, the U.S. Institute for Peace. It's another front of the same organization. The USIP Board of Directors is packed with alumni of the Defense Department and the National Security Council. Its president is Richard Solomon, former advisor to Kissinger at the National Security Council. Everybody is awfully important at the top that manage all these thousands of rebels, you see. And it says... Zayedi is a relentless organizer, a blue-chip Washington insider with links to some of the most powerful establishment think tanks. Zayedi's connections extend all the way to London. 2009, he became a visiting fellow at Chatham House. That's the headquarters for the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Chatham House, by the way, when World War II broke out, was still the private membership of this, this already private spy club for the British Empire. They were the British Empire, by the way. And they turned the house into the OSS, the precursor of the CIA in MI6. That was the headquarters. See, they are at the top. They're above the CIA. And they're above MI6. They put their lower members down as the heads of MI6 and the CIA. And it says... And end of June last year, he featured on the panel at one of their events, envisioning Syria's political future. This is the headquarters of the world's premier overthrowing society. They overthrow governments all over the planet, have for a hundred years. 
Showing up a platform with fellow SNC spokesman Osama Monajed, uh, and it says, uh, and SNC member Najib Gadbian. It says, Gadbian was identified by the Wall Street Journal as an early intermediary between the U.S. government and the Syrian opposition in exile. An initial contact between the White House and NSF National Salvation Front was forged by Najib Gadbian, a University of Arkansas political scientist. This was back in 2005, the watershed year. It all worked for government as well. These days, Gadbin is a member of the General Secretariat of the SNC and is on the advisory board of a Washington-based policy body called the Syrian Center for Political and Strategic Studies, an organization co-founded by Zaidi. He's been making connections like this for years. Back in 2008, Zaidi took part at a meeting of opposition figures in the Washington government building, a mini-conference called Syria in Transition. This is the age of transition, as they call it, relationship for international affairs, as they transform the whole planet. And, and I'll carry on with this because it's one of the most important articles that's been published in any major media uh, newspaper for 100 years. Back with more after this. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the big organization that runs the world. They've been behind all the revolutions across the planet for a hundred years and, and the, the throwing over of various governments through the Central America and elsewhere. And their big idea was to bring in this free trade system, which they would rule being bankers at the top. You see, that's who started off the Royal Institute for International Affairs, international moneylenders. And they own governments, they own the governments, they own the central banking system. These guys put forth all, the, through their own law systems, since they own the, own the countries, uh, the whole idea of central banks, which they run. This is quite astonishing. And they've been doing it for so long. And even this article here will be forgotten tomorrow by most people who can't follow it, actually. Most, most can't follow this in this day and age. It's just not simplistic enough for them. It's too cluttered. For, the, for their minds. They want simplistic answers. But anyway, it says, this is other, these are the guys who speak out for Syria. They're all backed and they're all funded and trained by this one organization that runs the world. And they throw over governments one after another and they move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. Anyway, it says, Zaidi has been making connections like this for years. Back in 2008, he took part in a meeting of opposition figures in the Washington government building in a mini-conference called the Syria in Transition. meeting was co-sponsored by a U.S.-based body called the Democracy Council and a U.K.-based organization called the Movement for Justice and Development. Now, these are all private bodies. It'll be NGO groups, too funded by the big foundations which are owned by the big members of the international banking system that, that, that own and who are the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's a big day for the MJD. Their chairman, Anas Abda, had travelled to Washington from Britain for the event along with the Director of Public Relations. Here from the MJD's website is a description of the day. It says the conference saw an exceptional turnout as the allocated hall was packed with guests from the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate. Representative Studies Centers, Journalistic and Syrian Expatriates. You think it's, understand, this is one organization that can bring it any, you could have used India, for an example. They run India too. And why are all your representatives going to these things? Because they're told to as members of the Council on Foreign Relations. The day opened with a keynote speech by James Prince, head of the Democracy Council. Zayedi was on a panel chaired by Joshua Muravchik, 
the ultra-interventionalist author of the 2006 op-ed Bomb Iran. The topic of the discussion was the emergence of organized opposition. Sitting beside Zaidi on the panel was the public relations director of the MGD, a man, man who'd later become his fellow at the SNC spokesperson, as his spokesperson, Osama Munajad. Who is Munajad? Along with Kodmani and Zaidi, Osama it says Mona Jed is one of the most important SNC spokespeople. There, there are others, of course. SNC is a big beast and includes the Muslim Brotherhood. That's owned by the CIA in the Mossad. The opposition to Assad is wide-ranging, but these are some of the key voices. There are other official spokespeople with long political careers, like George Sabra of the Syrian Democratic People's Party. Sabra has suffered arrest and lengthy imprisonment in his fight against the repressive and totalitarian regime in Syria. And there are other opposition voices outside the SNC, such as the writer Michael Kilo, who speaks eloquently of the violence tearing apart this country. Syria is being destroyed, street after street, city after city, village after village. What kind of solution is that? In order for a small group of people to remain in power, the whole country is being destroyed. But the thing is, too, who started the whole thing up to get to get this going? It was the outside forces, Anglo-American establishment, that started the rebellions, and the agitating and well-funded and armed them to get it going to destroy the country. It says there's no doubt that the primary opposition body is the SNC and Kodmani, Zaidi and Monajed are often to be found representing it. Monajed frequently crops up as a commentator on TV news channels. Here's, he should then give you a link on the BBC where he talks. Speaking from their Washington bureau, Monajed doesn't sugarcoat his message. We're watching civilians being slaughtered and kids being slaughtered and killed and women being raped on the TV screens every day. Now they've also showed you recently the fact that these, the groups that this guy represents, the so-called opposition, the freedom fighters are killing, uh, just gunning down, uh, and, uh, on, uh, you know, um, in firing squads, even the cops that they're catching. They're gunning them all down. But their message is for the public to get you behind them, you see, because their bosses, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, want you to be on their side. Meanwhile, over in Al Jazeera, Mujahid talks about what's really happening in reality on the ground, about the militiamen of Assad who come and rape their women, slaughter their children, kill the elderly. Now, they gave us the same story, of course, when Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait, remember? And the media across the West, the BBC and all the US stations, even had that same thing from World War I. Oh, they're taking children in, in, the, in the hospitals and bayoneting them and throwing them out the windows. It was all lies. Because that's what their job is, you see, as these spokespeople. It's to lie to get you on board to back your troops when they go in and take care of it. I mean, Monajed turned up just a few, these are professional, professional agitators. Turned up as a blogger on Huffington Post, UK, where he explained at length why the world must intervene in Syria, calling for direct military assistance and foreign military aid. So again, a fair question might be, who is his spokesman calling for military intervention? He's a member of the SNC, advisor to its president, and according to his SNC biography, the founder and director of Barada Television, a pro-opposition satellite channel based in Vauxhall, South London. Where else would it be out of except London? In 2008, a few months after attending Syria in transition conference, Murajed was back in Washington, invited to lunch with George W. Bush, along with a handful of other favored dissidents. And um, they've got links to that too, you actually see it if yourself. At this time in 2008, the U.S. State Department knew Monajed as Director of Public Relations for the Movement for Justice and Development, CIA. Eh? Interesting. 
You understand? Nobody is who they appear to be. It's all one organization running everything. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, going through one of the massive, massive arms. They've got lots of arms in this Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations. Just one massive group that foments uh, uprisings across the Middle East. They've been at this professionally for years and years and years, trained in all in the West, often born in the West, in fact. And they're put into positions in their own countries to agitate, to send students in, to agitate, to, to foment uh, things, and sometimes for 10 years before they'll actually start any revolution at all. It takes a bit that long to get everything going. Anyway, so who, where do they get all their funding from? It says the Democracy Council, you see? You understand the Royal Institute of International Affairs, CFR, they have all these other front groups where they distribute money to various agitators across the planet, including your own countries, to agitate for cultural change. Because they're changing the whole world, including all of you, as they use you and your military. But it says the Democracy, the democracy Council, this is one of them, this is one of them, a U.S.-based grant distributor, distributes grants, you see, lists the State Department as one of its sources of funding. How it works is this, the Democracy Council serves as a grant-administrating intermediary between the State Department's Middle East Partnership Initiative, all these laws that have signed in and treaties, and local partners such as Barada Television. As the Washington Post reports, several U.S. diplomatic cables from the embassy in Damascus reveal that the Syrian exiles receive money from a State Department program called the Middle East Partnership Initiative. According to the cables, the State Department's uh, funneled money to the exile group via the Democracy Council, a Los Angeles-based non-profit. They're all so-called non-profit organizations, just like the Royal Institute of International Affairs is as well, and the CFR. They're non-profit organizations. They run the world. And pretend they're philanthropic, you see. As they foment and agitate and cause wars all over the place. And then they tell your governments, because they put their old boys in your governments, to send your armies over there and take care of it. Once they've fomented the revolutions. The same report highlights a 2009 cable from the U.S. Embassy in Syria that says that the Democracy Council received $6.3 million from the State Department to run a Syria-related program, the Civil Society Strengthening, Strengthening Initiative. The cable describes this as a discrete collaborative effort between the Democracy Council and local partners aimed at producing, amongst other things, various broadcast concepts. According to the Washington Post, other cables make clear that one of those concepts was Barada Television. So the U.S. State Department funds the, the television stations they've set up to, to give out propaganda against the regimes, you see. Until a few months ago, the State Department's Middle East Partnership Initiative was overseen by Tamara Kaufman-Witz. She's now at the Brookings Institution, another arm in the same group, you see, an influential Washington think tank. Of MEPI, she has said that it created a positive brand for U.S. democratic promotion efforts. While working there, she declared there is a lot of organizations in Syria and other countries that are seeking changes from their governments. Well, they've made sure of that because, you see, they've got all their agitators in those countries. There's an agenda that we believe in and we're going to support. That's an agenda, you see. And by support, she means bankroll. But also the train 
they have special training places for these guys. Massive. This is way bigger than just the CIs. They're smaller, a smaller little group down below. And these guys are not responsible to any public on what they're up to. Because they're all private, you see. It says, this is nothing new. Go back a while to the early 2006. You have the State Department announcing a new funding opportunity called the Syria Democracy Program. On offer, grants worth $5 million in federal fiscal year 2006. The aim of the grants was to accelerate the work of reformers in Syria. Reformers. These days, the cash flowing in is flowing in faster than ever. The beginning of June 2012, the Syrian Business Forum was launched in Doha by opposition leaders, including Wael Mirza, who is an SNC Secretary General. This fund has been established to support all components of the revolution in Syria, said Mirza. The size of the fund is about, some, it's about $300 million from your State Department. It's by no means clear where the money has come from, but the rest of it all came from the State Department through their intermediary grant distribution front, philanthropic organizations, you see. This is all Mirza hinted at strong financial support from Gulf Arab states and the new fund uh, Al Jazeera. At the launch, Mirza said that about $150 million had already been spent in part on the Free Syrian Army. So I'll put this link up tonight. This is only a fraction of this whole article here, but it shows you how incredibly well organized all of these overthrows of governments are. In- incredible. And, and you have no idea of the, the massive bureaucracies at the top that your government has to deal with it and dealing with their other partners. You see, the private ones are better. They can go across the world and they're not responsible to your government will say, oh, we've got nothing to do with them or we give them a little help, financial help here and there. That's how they do it. That's how they take the world over. Same as your own country was all been taken over through the culture industry and laws through, through judicial systems and so on. And you don't even know what's happened to you. Remember these guys at the top, when they set up their, their big organization to take the world over, they wanted to take over all the resources of the planet, including the human resources. And then they'd bring in a scientific society, depopulate all the ones that were post-industrial, and uh, again, uh, save the world for themselves and their own offspring into the future. Well, you shouldn't be spending money on your offspring because you're down below at the bottom, you see, in the eugenics ladder. And you still vote for democracy. You think you've got democracy? As I say, their own historian at the Council of Foreign Relations has said, there hasn't been an American president since the late 1800s that was not a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, which is just a branch for the Royal Institute for International Affairs, private organization, made up of the international bankers. And you're scared of the CIA and the FBI? These guys own them all. But I'll put this up tonight. And those who can follow it, most folk can't follow this stuff anymore, that their, their minds literally, honestly, can't follow this. They lose interest, they just drift off and daydream because of the, what's been done to their, their, their minds and all the electronics that they use too. They can't follow this kind of stuff. It's a pity. Because you see, the war is worldwide. It's a world war. You're in a world war. It's been going on a long, long time. And you don't know it. 
tonight I'll also put up for the Australians because they've noticed, uh, again, a branch of the same organization. It's called the Fabian Society, the long roads to what they want to get. It's called the Fabian System Technique, intergenerational for maybe a 100 years till they get what they want. And Gillard or Gillard is a member of it. But this is a link to Gillard and her old boyfriend, of course, who was involved, apparently, he was involved in ripping off the Australian Workers' Union, big bucks too. And um, Gillard's tried to sweep that under the table and, and almost trying to ban it from all distribution across the media in Australia about her past, you see. So I'll put this link up tonight and another one too. We'll hear the interview with uh, it's a, an Australian guy, Alan Jones interviews Michael Smith on Gallard and the, her shady past as well for those that want to see it. Now, another thing that's coming up too is the redistribution of wealth. And I've mentioned before these same bankers don't see any country as their own, you understand. They're international. They'll live anywhere and they can get born and raised anywhere. It doesn't matter to them. They're way ahead of this. They have future societies always looking down the road to the, into the kind of world that's not just going to happen to be in a hundred years' time, but the one that they're going to create to be in a hundred years' time. That's how you keep control. And part of it, too, was setting up of the Soviet system, another big experiment. They called it the Great Experiment. And now they're going to the redistribution of taxes, of wealth, they call it, from the Communist Manifesto. That's what it's all about now, is we throw taxes, your taxes, as you go under, you see. Because I say they don't love you any more than love anybody else, even if they're born in your own country. And they want to bring in a new tax, a worldwide tax. Now, the UN's been talking about this one for years. And remember, they use massive marketing campaigns and uh, neuro-linguistics, psycholinguistics, nice th- terms. That, that's hard for the average Joe who really believes in the reality that's given to them through education and, 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 and TV. They really believe in it. They have no idea that there's anything weird going on. And it's called, um, it's this, this article is called, the, the Prime Minister is urged to go ahead with the Robin Hood tax. See, Robin Hood tax plans. What is Robin Hood tax plans? Campaigners for a tax on financial transactions have urged David Cameron, the Prime Minister of Britain, to follow the leader of President Francois Hollande as he introduced a 2% levy, 0.2% levy on share trading in France. Now this is to expand, once it sums on the books, expands to every financial transaction, just going into the bank and so on. The French tax, which has come into effect, is expected to raise 500 million euro next year and is a precursor to a wider European tax, which Britain is not expected to join. Now, it will, they probably will join it because the EU is all one now. All these countries are one. The tax will be imposed on share purchases involving uh, publicly traded businesses with a market value over 1 billion euro. And Mr. Holland has indicated that some of the revenue will be used to fight global poverty and HIV AIDS. Oh, they just love you all, eh? You know how long the world's been around and the poor's always been here? Because the psychopathic elite, they come up with cons like this, you see, are always in charge. Advocates of the, the tax say that will also help curb the speculation which has been blamed for contributing towards the financial crash of 2008. Well, who's going to manage all this new, new, new cash? Well, I'll put these links up tonight. And it says, who's behind it? The Robin Hood's, Hood tax campaign started as an idea. People loved it. And of course, if you're people, then you've got to be social. You must love it too. See the, the terminology? People loved it. Nobody heard of it. We became a movement and we're still growing. Committed to reducing poverty, tackling climate change. Oh, climate change. By taxing financial transactions. 
It's time to rewrite the contracts between banks and society, where charities, green groups, trade unions, celebrities, financier, uh, religious leaders and politicians. We are world leaders such as President Holland of France, uh, Chancellor Merkel of Germany, among others. We are business people, FSA Chairman Lord Turner, financier George Soros, who else? Entrepreneur extraordinaire Warren Buffett. We are economists, Nobel Prize winners Joseph Stiglitz and Paul Krugman, Earth Institute Directory Jeffrey Sachs, and 1,000 other economists from across the world, etc., etc., etc. You see, that's who's behind the Robin Hood tax, right? Well, every tax that's ever been invented, it comes down on the guys at the bottom. You all know that. You all know that. I hope you do know that. If you've lived long at all, you must know it. But also put up another link to do with uh, this. It says, help make this idea a reality. Join uh, the Robin Hood tax supporters. And it actually says on their own site, too, they can use, um, they can create some, they can make profit, basically, out of crisis, which is a thing that always say that comes from foreign relations. How can you turn this crisis to our advantage? I'll put that link up as well. So these big bankers, the big bankers want to manage all this cash of a world financial tax. And, of course, it's going to come off your paychecks. It's going to come off everything that you do at the bank, all your cashless transactions, everything, to help the poor and help climate change and the greenies and all the rest of it. And all the big usual suspects at the top are in charge of it all. And the United Nations, of course. Quite something. Quite something. Never. It's always the same con after con after con. Now, we're already slaves, I hope you understand that, because Charles Galton Darwin in the 1950s wrote a book called The Next Million Years on behalf of the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations and all the big boys who already owned the world by then. And he was a top eugenicist. He was also a physicist who worked in the Manhattan Project. Guys like him who love to help the world make things like atom bombs and, and want them used, you know. Anyway, uh, he talked about the world to come, and he says there's always been slavery in one form or, or another, and we're in the process now, in the 1950s, of creating a more sophisticated form of slavery. In other words, such a good form of slavery, you would not know that it even happened to you, that you were a slave. They also talked about using hormones in your water, your food, and, and various other things to turn the men into women, and, and he said it make the women more aggressive. This all happened, folks. He belonged to all these world organizations, again owned by the same guys, Rollins of International Affairs, and spoke on their behalf. Because they say they, they, they don't love you. They'll use the flags of every country as they go in with your, your, your militaries to take over all the resources, but they don't love your country any more than, you know, they are internationalists. The world is theirs. And they're eugenicists. But anyway, this is in Britain. And Cameron's passed a law in Britain to, to, to monitor everyone's health and everything else. It says, we'll turn the National Health Service patients. Now, all those in the states who, who are going to go into this National Health Service that Britain is already uh, using. And that's what the RAND Corporation based the U.S. system on, the British system, for, for those who didn't know that. And so we'll turn the National Health Service patients into real-time drug lab rats. Prime Minister David Cameron said his government is launching a consultation on changing the National Health Constitution so that the default setting is for patients' data to be used for research unless the patient opts out. Good luck trying to opt out. 
in a speech to the Global Health Policy Summit. Now, what's the Global Health Policy Summit? Understand all these organizations you've never heard of. They're all funding. He said that the UK is going to be the world leader in making real-time patient data available for drug development for the big pharma companies to, to play with you. Bring you down, sterilize you even for quicker, I guess. We're going to do this by harnessing the incredible data collection by our National Health Services. He says, this will make anonymized data available to scientists and researchers on a scale never seen before. And the Prime Minister's view this will help make the UK the best place in the world to carry out the cutting-edge research. So there's a whole nation of National service, uh, Health Service patients going to be used for this. Now, Scotland's already ahead of it. They're most, more communistic, socialistic because they thought they were getting their freedom because they were conned mightily by the same group of the Royal Institute for National Affairs, you see. Same boys are on the Scotland as well. And they've already got this, you see. It's a, it's a, a far-sighted decision in the 70s. It means every person registered with a general practitioner in Scotland is allowed a unique identifying number from a centrally maintained register called the Community Health Index. And I'll put this up tonight, this link. And when you scroll down to the bottom, it tells you that this, this health index number is your e-care identifier and is used across all agencies from health, education, social work, and police, to your bus pass and library card and everything in between. This includes your bank and everything. Total information network, folks, from birth to death, plus all their data and all the drugs they've given you. The excuse in Scotland is we don't know why the health is so bad. Well, look Again, the Royal Institute for International Affairs members, look at the books they put out from H.G. Wells and other ones about who they wanted to take out, the, the, the people that wouldn't fit into the new society. The Scots, the Irish, lots of Africans, other people too, who just have a, an allergy to, to tyranny. People like that, you see. That's why their health is so bad and all the injections they've had. So easy to do, isn't it? Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix and... Well, this hour just flies in, but we'll go to Mike from Texas who's hanging on the line there. Are you there, Mike? I am, Alan. Hey, first, uh, well, I apologize for not being in touch for some time. I had a little bit of a health issue and uh, a couple things I've been trying to uh, straighten out. You get a little introspective when you get a health issue in this world. And you... Yep, you do. But uh, a comment and a question. Uh, I know that um, I can hear it in your voice sometimes. You get a little uh, frustrated, if I could assume, and that... Um, you know, you put all this uh, great information out that we can't get anywhere else, and you wonder, uh, you know, rightly so, why people don't uh, take some type of action. And, and uh, we're not imagining these things. I mean, mm-hmm. like you always say, from Wells in, in fiction to um, the CFR publications, they, they tell us what they're going to do to us. Mm-hmm. And in their mind, their legalistic minds, they say, see, we'll... This just justifies our survival of the fittest concept that we tell you what we're going to do to you and you don't fight back. Yeah, that's true. In your humble opinion, I mean, and I know, Alan, you've never advocated violence, never. You've been a uh, an advocate, actually, for, you know, an information war where 
you tell the people what's going on and just hope they would just naturally resist for their, mm -hmm. you know, for their own survival. Well, well, remember too that the same the same people are in charge of all the the information techniques that you're allowed to have. And the problem is, they knew back in the 40s, they talked about this coming era right now, where they'd had pretty well control of everyone's mind via the information they give out by their own media every day. Crisis after crisis, up and down the economy, wars, all the rest of it. So people are completely, uh, um, absor you know, overloaded with data. But it's, but it's not the data that helps you change anything. That's what they make sure of. Fear itself and fear stories don't, don't change anything. It makes people cower down waiting for a hero to come along and do all for them. That doesn't happen either. So you're dealing with, I mean, we mentioned Syria tonight. That's just one country with thousands of employees all agitating to overthrow it, all paid by you, the taxpayer, for your state departments and the British um, departments as well. And that's just one country. Now, they're doing the same within your own country. That's what you have to understand. They make sure that all information is is managed the same way. And you had Bogue Wrights in the past, for instance, that was a con for the big boys that led a lot of people up the garden path and admitted at the end they were still working for the Pentagon. So he was put out there to lead the patriot movement. I mean, you've got, you've got the whole school system indoctrinating the children into different reality altogether. The whole school system across the country going along the same agenda. You don't get off in life with much of a chance to start with. Uh, and that's what we're under, the massiveness of this. And that's why you have to retreat from everything and, and even at the daily crisis that they're always throwing at you and get into the basic things. Who's behind it? Read their books by their own members that they put out for a hundred years. Fascinating. They outline the whole agenda and you've got to start teaching everybody else around you from the basic, from their own books because, because then there's no guesswork involved. And then you have to decide what kind of life would I want to have and what kind of life do we, should we deserve ourselves? But they also know that the thing too that Dzerzhinsky said this in the, in the Soviet Union. He said that the people, he says, when you starve them, what do they do? Um, will they rebel? If you beat them, uh, put them in a corner, will they help? Will they, will they fight you? He says, no. Collectively, if, if they don't know what's really going on, they'll turn around and eat their dead. That's a technique they're trying to do here with massive psychological daily warfare via the mainstream media. And we've got to understand that. Switch off, start studying, and then start learning. And only then... Can you put pressure? And it won't be easy. They won't give up easy. These guys are mean business. They're causing wars across the world, and, and that's what they've been at for a long time. But, but thanks for calling. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.